Welcome to Slim and Satisfied, a podcast about weight loss for women dealing with hormonal imbalances. I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and I invite you to join me weekly for conversations, practical strategies, and resources that will lead you on the right path to feeling satisfied with your body and your life. And now, let's get to today's episode. Hey there, welcome back. I'm so excited that you've decided to join me today for episode 25 of the Slim and Satisfied podcast. Today's episode is all about foods that cause acne or that make acne worse. And I have to tell you that if there's one thing that I've truly suffered from my entire life, it's acne. And even to this day, even though my acne is relatively well controlled right now, and I'm going to tell you how I'm doing that, I feel like at any moment, things can get a take a turn for the worse. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about that, tell you a little bit about my story with acne, and then also share some of the research and some of the studies that have been done specifically about foods that can cause or make acne worse. For me, I can tell you that since the young age of 12, and again, still today, I've had acne in some form ever since then. I'm 37 and I'm not getting any younger. And I can tell you that I still feel like I have the skin of a 14 or 15 year old. And I always thought that as I get older, my skin's gonna get better and all of the puberty type acne stuff is gonna go away. Well, it hasn't. It actually was the worst in my late 20s. And I kind of gave up on the idea that it's ever going to get better. I just named it my adult acne. So I'm fully accepting that I'm a full-grown woman and I'm still dealing with acne, specifically cystic acne, which has been very difficult to control for many, many years from for me. And so it's not age. It was never the age. It's something more rooted in inflammation or hormone imbalances And the type of acne, as I said, that I've suffered from, which is cystic acne, we know that it's mostly hormonal. So it's the type of acne that occurs mostly in the jawline and the chin area. And these are cysts that come up under the skin. They occur under the skin and they're typically very painful, very inflamed, and they don't have a head. So they don't have a head, which means that they can't really be squeezed. Not that anyone should be squeezing them, but we've all been there and we all did. But you can't release the pressure is what I'm trying to say. So it just makes it so much more painful. And they just kind of throb under the skin. And they're typically linked to an imbalance in hormones, specifically increased androgens, which are male hormones like testosterone and DHEAS and others. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that my hormonal issues were causing acne because when I got pregnant, I didn't have acne almost at all because my estrogen was very high and it kind of overruled the testosterone, which is really what I'm realizing now. But as soon as my estrogen went back down after I delivered my kids, my acne came back and it came back full force. So for the longest time, ever since, again, I was 12 or 13, I was seeing an esthetician, I was seeing different dermatologists and trying to explain that I feel like my male hormones are causing the acne, 
Because based on my research and everything that I've read and the location of my acne and the type of acne that I have, I knew that something was wrong hormonally. But as many of you are probably able to relate, my labs were normal. Everything looked normal on the surface. So I would just get another script for a topical cream, which really would irritate my skin even further because it dried it out so much. And I tried so many different things, but things like antibiotics and different creams and different cleansers and all of the more cosmetic stuff, I never really saw much of an improvement. My acne would always come back. It was always really hard to control and things just kind of got worse and worse. And so for the majority of my teens and 20s, I went everywhere with any type of makeup concealer or foundation that you can imagine. And I had to reapply coverage all day long, multiple times a day. This was my life. I would put makeup on to hide all the acne, all the pimples that I've had. And even after I got married and my husband never really cared about my acne, I remember I would make a point to wake up earlier than him to cover up my face before he woke up. This is something that makes me cringe a little bit now, but this is what I had to do. This is how shameful and painful, both emotionally and physically, my acne was. I also, when I was younger, before I was um, married, I had some acne on my back. So I didn't even want anyone to touch me or hug me because I was so mortified that they'd feel my back acne. So this was something I constantly thought about. And if you've dealt with or you're dealing with acne right now, I'm sure you can relate. It's something that impacts your personal life, your social life. I didn't want to go places, you know, so it's something that's all consuming. I really made decisions based directly on my acne. And when I say this, I mean, I didn't want to go to the beach or the pool because if my face got wet, I would have to reapply makeup or I didn't want to stay out in the sun too much because I felt like that was exacerbating things for me. So anything that had to do with social interaction or with something that could potentially be a problem for me, I would I would avoid because my acne covering it up, managing it and staying away from really being exposed in public was most important to me, which is a shame. It was very isolating. I was experiencing anxiety and depression around it and even to this day whenever my you know my face breaks out or I'm having some hormonal issues that manifest in acne, it takes me back and I really feel the heaviness of it. Right now, what I do for my acne is I take spironolactone. I've been on it for about a year and it has made a huge difference for me. I don't know how long I'm going to keep taking it. And I actually had to increase the dose recently since it wasn't working. Initially, it wasn't working. The dose that I was on wasn't sufficient. So right now, I think I'm going to keep taking it. Now, for many people and a lot of health experts out there, and when I say experts, I'm using health, um, I'm using air quotes because let me tell you that if you really suffer from acne and you suffer from cystic acne and an imbalance of hormones that's causing the acne, yoga is not going to fix your acne. And taking a bubble bath is not going to fix your acne. And reducing your stress is extremely important and may improve your acne but it's not gonna make it all go away, okay? So self-care is not gonna be enough. It certainly wasn't enough for me to reduce my acne. So as you can tell, 
I don't fully buy into a lot of the solutions that people have out there. And I think for many of us, sometimes a medication is needed and I'm doing all the other things. I'm trying to eat as healthy as I can. Believe me, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I know a thing or two about nutrition and managing my acne through diet is something that I'm working on. But for me, even though I don't love medications, taking the spironolactone is something that is working for me right now. And I I just kind of want to keep doing it in order to control it right along with everything else. So it's not that I'm not caring about stress management or that I'm not engaging in self-care or eating a healthy, balanced diet and exercising and all the things, but sometimes we need a little extra. We need a little bit more of a medical intervention to help us see the results that we're looking for. One of the things I'm going to say about spironolactone, because my population is mostly women with PCOS and cycle regularity is an issue, I did notice that it can cause some missed periods. And that's a known side effect of spironolactone. So keep that in mind if you're struggling to regulate your cycle. And spironolactone is also a diuretic. So hydration is important. It will make you pee more. That's basically what it does. The way that spironolactone works, and it's also on the market as aldactone, it's a blocker of testosterone receptors. So it basically binds to testosterone receptors in our body and prevents the action of testosterone. So it, if, in essence, reduces the activity of testosterone, and that's why it helps reduce acne. Now, since acne is something that many women with PCOS deal with, and it can be tricky to cure, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my story, which I just did, And I also wanted to focus on today's episode on how diet can help reduce acne or what are some of the things that we know relatively for sure. You know that with science, things can change any day, but there's a good body of evidence around certain foods and certain components of diet that we know are contributing to acne. So if I can help you sort out between fact and fiction and really figure out what of the things that we see out there is really causing acne or really is a potential problem, then I've done my job. I want to make things as simple as possible for you because if you have severe acne, I want to make sure that you're not making things worse with your diet, but rather the opposite. You're taking the steps needed in order to reduce what's happening internally based on the food and the inflammation that's happening, you're taking the steps to reduce that inflammation so that you can improve acne. Now, that's not to say, again, that you won't need a medication, okay? So these things may not cure it, but if you have severe acne, it's likely going to help you see less of a breakout, see less of a severity, but you'll likely need to first clear it with medications, okay? So You can continue to keep it under control with diet, but as a first line of approach, as a first intervention, if you're really truly suffering from acne, I would highly encourage you to see a dermatologist and find out if taking a medication would be appropriate for you. If you're completely against medications, I respect that too. So you can use the information that you'll hear today on the podcast to take the steps toward a clearer skin, healthier skin. 
The three specific types of foods that I'm going to be talking about today are dairy products, chocolate, and high glycemic index carbohydrates, okay? These are the three that I'm going to be focusing on, and based on what we see in studies, I'm going to tell you how they may impact acne, and I'll also tell you at the end what I recommend my clients eat in order to reduce the severity of acne. Let's go ahead and get started talking about dairy. Dairy has been studied as a cause of acne since the 1940s. And we still can't clearly say that it's an absolute cause, but it does appear to make a a big difference and it does appear to be a big contributor to acne. So there are a lot of different mechanisms that we suspect are the reason why dairy may contribute to acne and they all make sense. So that's usually the first thing that if someone comes to me with acne and they want to treat it through the diet, dairy is the first thing that we would eliminate. The reason why dairy, and specifically milk, is contributing to acne, as we see it in studies, is that dairy contains something called insulin-like growth factor, which is a type of growth hormone that cows produce during pregnancy, and it's very similar chemically to growth hormone that we humans produce, and that's why when we consume dairy, which is very high in IGF, insulin-like growth factor, It acts like growth hormone in our body, and it increases the secretion of insulin. It makes insulin spike. And we know that in puberty, our own version of IGF is really in high levels. It spikes during puberty, which is why, part of the reason why, about 80% of teens experience acne breakouts. So this hormone, IGF-1, stimulates both the adrenal glands and the ovaries to produce more testosterone. So it does a few different things. It does increase insulin, which in turn increases androgens, right? So the more insulin we have in the system, the more male hormones we produce. And we also know that at the same time, IGF, this insulin growth factor, insulin-like growth factor, stimulates the adrenal glands and the ovaries to produce their own testosterone, which then in turn increases the production of oil in the sebaceous glands, which are the skin cells that get inflamed and produce these acne lesions. So we have more greasy skin, we have more androgen hormones in the system when we drink cow's milk, and that's all because of the action of IGF-1 and not because of the fat content of milk. And that's really important to understand. This has nothing to do with the fat in milk. It has everything to do with this type of growth hormone that cows produce that's very similar to our growth hormone, and it increases both insulin and the secretion of things like testosterone, which in turn make the sebaceous glands more oily, And it also increases inflammation. So a lot of different things happening here, but this really has nothing to do with the fat content of milk. In fact, we know that skim milk is more strongly associated with acne than whole milk or 2% milk. So skim milk that has no fat increases acne, again, because it increases the release of androgen hormones, and it also contains less estrogen compared to whole milk. But overall, the strongest link that we see is between the total amount of milk that we consume. So it's less so about skim versus whole. It's more about how much milk someone consumes in their day. And then we see a severity of acne that's directly linked to that amount, meaning the more milk someone's drinking, 
the worse their acne will be. So if you're currently eating cereal with milk, which I'm gonna talk about, there's a double whammy here with the cereal. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But if you're drinking milk in your cereal, or if you're doing a smoothie in the morning, or if you have some sort of coffee that's milk-based, or if you drink milk with your dinner, after your dinner, as a snack, this is something that you're gonna wanna eliminate because there's a very high likelihood that it's contributing significantly to your acne. The next thing I wanna talk about is chocolate. It is commonly believed that chocolate causes acne, but there's actually very, very little evidence to support this. There are some studies that show that chocolate makes acne worse, but one of the biggest issues with these studies is that they didn't really specify the type of chocolate that the participants consumed. And that's important because there's a big difference in the composition of dark chocolate, which is very high in antioxidants, and milk chocolate, which contains a lot of sugar and some milk, which may be the driver of the acne as opposed to the chocolate itself. So it's important that we understand the studies that were done are not that good. Most of the evidence that we have about chocolate causing acne is really coming from dermatologists that got reports from patients that they got more breakouts after they ate chocolate. So it's not the most reliable type type of data. And we don't really know enough to say that chocolate is or isn't contributing to, to acne. Plus, you have to remember that if we're consuming chocolate in small amounts and we're choosing mo- mostly high quality dark chocolate, it's fairly unlikely to pose a problem. So I would say that as far as chocolate, you do not have to stop eating it, especially if you're eating good quality, high chocolate. If you're eating chocolate that contains a lot of milk, that could be a problem. So you wanna look at the ingredient list, but most high quality dark chocolate that has at least 70% cacao or more is likely not going to pose a problem. And I want you to enjoy it and not worry about it. Let's move on to talking about glycemic index. So this is something that can be confusing, a little bit hard to understand, and I'm sure you've heard about glycemic index before. I'm gonna try to explain what it is and really simplify it for you so that you don't have to get overwhelmed or think that this is something that's hard to to understand. Basically, what glycemic index is, is a measure of how quickly a food raises blood sugar. So everything is compared to a slice of white bread, which has the highest score on the glycemic index, which is 100. So anything that's going to be below 100 is going to, it means that it raises blood sugar to a lesser degree. Meaning if you were to look at, let's take an extreme example, something like almonds, which are all, all fat and protein, they don't have carbohydrates at all. So they wouldn't raise blood sugar very significantly, if at all, that's likely got a score of below 10 or below 20. I'm going to just guess. I don't know off the top of my head. A slice of white bread, like Wonder Bread, which is very refined. It's got a lot of flour and sugar maybe added to it. So it doesn't have any fiber. It doesn't have any protein. That type of carbohydrate is going to be breaking down to sugar very, very quickly, and it's going to raise blood sugar very, very quickly. So that's why it has a score of 100. Basically, nothing raises blood sugar faster than a slice of bread. Even a a Snicker bar has a, a score that's lower than 100, believe it or not, but that's because it's got fat in it. So the fat's going to block some of the spike in blood sugar. So foods that have 
a high glycemic index, tend to be more refined, higher in sugar, and lacking fiber and protein. And it's a little bit confusing because it's more complicated than just that. There are many different factors that are involved in determining the score of a food, and I don't want you to get too worried about that. But you don't have to know the score of foods specifically, but I just want you to get a gist of it and get a general understanding that high glycemic index foods are going to be the ones that are very refined, like cereals, which is what we just talked about. So if you're eating something like Rice Krispie treats or even, I don't know, Captain Crunch or another type of cereal, even something like Honey Nut Cheerios, which doesn't have a ton of fiber, and you're having that with milk, now we have two factors that could be making acne worse that you're consuming. So it's the refined carbohydrate, the high glycemic index cereal, and the milk. So both of those things are likely not making acne any better for you. Now, it can be a little bit confusing because, as I said, different factors can change the score of a food. For example, an underripe banana and an overripe banana, like a brown spot banana, is going to have a much higher glycemic index than a banana that's green. Same food, different glycemic index. That's because the overly ripe banana has more available sugars in it. The reason that it's kind of getting brown and it's, it tastes sweeter, it's because the sugars have broken down in the banana and they're more available. That's why it tastes sweeter to us as well. We can taste the sugar right away and it also raises blood sugar right away. Another example of this is that milk has a very high glycemic index, but cheese actually does not. Milk is three to six times higher in glycemic index than cheese. And that's because in the process of making cheese, a lot of the lactose, which is the sugar in dairy, is removed. And that's why we have a lower glycemic index in cheese compared to milk, even though obviously cheese is made from milk. Which, by the way, the fact that milk has a higher glycemic index could be another reason why milk and not cheese was seen to be associated with acne, right? In addition to the reasons that we already discussed that are more related to insulin-like growth factor, but milk also has a high glycemic index. So there could be two things working here as far as milk, the sugar in it and also the growth hormone that's in it from the cows. Both of those things could be making acne worse and really being the main culprit from diet, at least, that's driving the acne. Now, when you think about the connection between high glycemic index foods and acne, it totally makes sense. High glycemic index food, as I just said, typically are very processed, very refined carbohydrates, things like cereal and crackers and pretzels and sugary treats and granola bars. These tend to spike blood sugar very high, very quickly, which in turn will lead to a spike in insulin. Now, remember, insulin's job is to get sugar from the bloodstream into the cells. So anytime that we eat a food that breaks down to sugar very quickly, insulin's going to spike and we're going to see a surge in insulin. And for women with PCOS, if you're already insulin resistant, which about 70 to 80% of women with PCOS are, even if you have lean PCOS, that's simply going to mean that you now have even more insulin in the system than you did at baseline. 
So at baseline, you're likely slightly elevated just because of the inflammation and because of the physiology of PCOS. But now if you're eating something that has a high glycemic index and your blood sugar spikes, your insulin spikes, you're just adding more fuel to the fire. So when we have a higher level of insulin in the system, we're going to be producing more of the androgen hormones. So we release more things like testosterone. And we've already established that that's the main driver of acne and the main driver of more oil production in the skin. So when we have testosterone, we see more acne, we see more um, of the oil in the sebaceous glands, and that's clearly going to cause more of the acne lesions and the inflammatory skin response. Now, sure enough, when you look at the studies, populations in non-industrialized countries have much lower rates of acne, which could be due to eating almost no processed foods. So generally speaking, people in non-westernized countries are going to be eating almost no processed foods. They're going to, it's not to say that they're not eating any carbohydrates or that they're not eating any sweet foods or anything like that, but they do consume less packaged foods. They do prepare their own meals from fresher ingredients, things like a lot of fruit, rice, some pasta, but mostly root vegetables, fish, and game meat. They also report to consume very little alcohol or coffee and no dairy at all. So this is a little bit along the lines of the paleo diet, right? So a lot of fresh foods, not a lot of grains, no no dairy at all, and very little alcohol or coffee. Another important part of the diet that we see in people in non-Westernized countries is that the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fats is one-to-one. Omega-6 fats are pro-inflammatory. This is something I spoke about in previous episodes. And these are fats that really come from the diet. They come mostly from processed foods. And you can find them in different baked goods, in different processed items like frozen entrees or frozen chicken nuggets or fish sticks or things like that. And we see them in a lot of our products, a lot of our snacks, a lot of the granola bars and the salty snacks. They're pretty much everywhere. Omega-6 fats are very pro-inflammatory, but they're very cheap for the food industry to use when they're making the food, and that's why we see them everywhere. So in the non-Westernized countries, there's a ratio of one-to-one, which is very good and healthy. We have the omega-3 fats, and we have the same amount of the omega-6 fats. Here in U.S., and in a more Westernized diet, we see a ratio of one-to-twenty. So we have... 20 times the amount of omega-6s to to omega-3s. And that's a very off-balance ratio, and it just shows us how inflammatory our diet is. So when we look at those populations, it could be that they're eating a lower glycemic index diet. They're certainly eating more healthier fats. They're eating less processed carbs. They're eating more fiber and more protein than us. But they're they're also eating a type of fat that's called omega-3 that I've talked about before, and I'm sure you know about coming from things like fish that is highly anti-inflammatory. And that could be another reason that we're not realizing is making their diet highly beneficial for healthy skin and lowering the rates of acne overall. 
in one of the studies that I read, there was a population that was studied of women from Ireland, and they were growing up and living in the countryside. And their diet was very healthy. It was very fresh. They grew their own food. They minimally processed it. There was nothing in there that was coming from a package or from a big grocery store. And once they moved to the United States, the study followed them, the researchers followed them, and what they reported and what they saw is that as soon as they came here to the United States and started eating a little bit of a more westernized diet, more of those processed items kind of crept into their day and convenience took over and they started buying more packaged foods and things like that, they reported that acne began showing up for them pretty soon after they made that change which I thought was very interesting. So from my research, what I would say is that when someone comes in with cystic acne and they're really looking to manage that in addition to other PCOS symptoms like weight and cravings and maybe hair growth, that's a big red flag that there's high testosterone and high androgen male hormones in the system. So the main priority, as opposed to using a topical cream or doing this kind of soap and this kind of cleanse and this kind of lotion is really to first lower insulin because if you even if you take spearmint tea and you lower androgens, if insulin is high, you're going to keep producing those androgens. So the first line of approach is going to be taking out those processed, refined carbohydrates out of the equation, eliminating them from the diet, things like cereal and granola bars and crackers and chips and processed breads and all of those things have to come out of your diet so that you can lower your insulin to a pretty high degree because that's going to help not only with weight loss, but also most importantly for our purposes today, it's going to reduce the production of testosterone. Anytime insulin is high, you're going to have high testosterone as well. At the same time, you want to make sure that you're eliminating dairy because we know, again, insulin-like growth factor is going to up that insulin. And also, we have more androgen hormones in things like skim milk and reduced fat milk. So we want to take that out because, again, that hormone is going to work on the adrenals. It's going to work on the ovaries to produce more testosterone. So I've taken all the research that I read and broke it down into the bottom line. And what I can tell you is that your best bet is to go with a low glycemic index diet, as well as eliminating dairy from your day. On top of that, there are a few different foods that do help. So let's go into that for a little bit, because I want you to understand that it's not all about eliminating. There are foods that you can add that will likely help But again, it's a whole mixture. You have to have a whole well-rounded diet. You can't just eliminate this or add that and use it as a Band-Aid. You want to be holistic about it and have a more bigger picture approach here. One of the things that I saw in all the studies that I read for today's episode in preparation to give you the best information and to really break it down for you in simple terms was antioxidants. And we've spoken about antioxidants here on the podcast quite a bit in past episodes, The reason for that is, and PCOS is a mostly inflammatory condition, and one of the best ways that you're going to be able to reduce those symptoms and control PCOS is with eating antioxidant foods. So specifically regarding acne, selenium is an antioxidant that you want to focus on because it was seen to reduce both the severity and the frequency of acne lesions appearance. 
You can find selenium in Brazil nuts, and if you've never had Brazil nuts, I highly encourage you to try them. They're delicious. They're a large type of nut that's very rich in selenium and rich in healthy fats. The other source of selenium is fish, specifically fatty fish. If you're focusing on adding omega-3s and you also want to get selenium at the same time, fish is a great, great choice because it's got that added benefit that we just spoke about, which is the anti-inflammatory properties of fatty fish like trout, salmon, and mackerel. So they can really reduce the activity of a particular substance in the body that controls the production of sebum, which is that oily secretion in the sebaceous gland in the skin. And again, we know that omega-3 fats that are found in fish help reduce insulin-like growth factor, which we already discussed. It does play a huge role in acne flare-ups. So if you add fish to your diet, you're getting lots of different benefits. You're getting the selenium, you're getting the omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. And of course, fish is a delicious, wonderful source of protein that I highly recommend you incorporate at least two or three times per week with emphasis on fatty fish like salmon, trout, and mackerel. The other type of food that could be beneficial here is probiotics, so specifically fermented foods. One of the reasons that we see acne is, of course, related back to inflammation. And again, PCOS is a chronically inflammatory condition, so healing that gut, making sure that you have the right mix of good bacteria in your gut is super important, and fermented foods can help you do that. So we keep going back to fermented foods. If you've listened to my PCOS proof episodes, which were episode number 21 and 22, You've already heard why fermented foods are so important to keep in your kitchen and eat on a daily basis. So you do not have to suffer from gut issues to take better care of your gut. We now know that the gut really dictates everything to do with our health. It dictates everything that happens in our body as well as mentally, believe it or not. And acne is no exception. So a lot of what's happening with acne is driven by inflammation. And we know that inflammation begins in the gut. So when we have an imbalanced gut, what's going to happen is that some chemical messengers, some type of hormone or messenger is going to be released from the gut to the brain. And those types of chemical messengers really disrupt the immune system and also the endocrine system. So they can really make hormonal imbalances worse. And that's going to be a problem in terms of acne, but also your overall symptoms with PCOS as well. Everything, most symptoms that you see are inflammatory related, and they're related to hormonal imbalances that come from either the immune system or the endocrine system, which is the system that governs our hormone. And one additional thing I'm going to say about the gut is that if your bacterial balance, your bacterial population in the gut is not well balanced, then you're likely not absorbing the food properly. You're not absorbing nutrients from your food specifically very, very well. So Even if you do eat antioxidants and you eat a good diet that's well-rounded and contains a lot of good, healthy foods, if you're not absorbing those nutrients properly because your gut balance is out of whack, that's not benefiting you. So you're basically wasting that food. You're not really getting the benefit. You're not getting the nutrition out of it. So you want to incorporate those fermented foods, the probiotic foods, things like sauerkraut and kimchi and tempeh and maybe coconut-based Uh, Greek yogurt that's got added cultures all the time on a regular basis, not just when you're having constipation or diarrhea and not just when you think your gut is now functioning well. 
You want to be doing it all the time so that you can preserve that functionality in your gut to the optimal degree. You want your gut working as best as possible because it really dictates a lot of what happens in our health, especially when we have an inflammatory condition like PCOS. Let's wrap up today's episode. I hope that you found the information helpful. What I would recommend is that if you're suffering from acne, you're gonna get started by eliminating dairy and replacing a lot of the processed carbohydrates in your day with higher fiber foods, things that are minimally processed. So again, go back to episode number 22, I believe it was, the PCOS Proof Kitchen. That's gonna show you how to add lots of different slow carbohydrates into your day that are not processed and are low glycemic index. That's what you want. At the same time, you wanna add lots of fermented foods and anti-inflammatory, either produce or fish or other high antioxidant food and also foods that are rich in omega-3s. So that's gonna be your fatty fish, Things like flax seeds and walnuts can be great as well. And if you're not sure how to go about it, I wanna invite you to contact me. I'd be happy to coach you. I am taking new clients at this time. So if you have PCOS, if you're dealing with acne, weight gain, and cravings, and you want some help, you wanna follow my proven process to resolving these issues, I invite you to contact me. I'm going to put the link below and you can also email me at daphna at daphnachazen.com and I'll be sure to get back to you as soon as I can. I hope the rest of your week is great and I will see you here again next time. Bye for now.